we all learn in different ways. And for some of us, we really easily remember things, remember scriptures, remember information from the scriptures. Others of us learn in other ways. We find it harder work. I'm one who finds it harder work. But I have found that sometimes if I do things with my hands, if I get involved in a story, it's easier for me to learn. So I've got an activity for us. Um, I'm going to encourage you all to stand up because you can't do this sitting down. I'm going to stop moving around soon, Mr. Cameraman, but you'll have to cope with me. This is the way I'm wired. Okay, I want you to imagine with me a big loaf of bread, okay? It's a big loaf of bread, a bit like the one we had for the Lord's Supper before, a big loaf of bread. Out, well, the children are not moving. Oh, dear. So you've got, to, you've got to listen with your hands, a big loaf of bread. Out the top of the big loaf of bread is a torch, a flashlight, Remember an old-fashioned pencil torch thing? A torch sticking into the top of the big loaf of bread. And on the side of the flashlight, where the switch would be, there's a door. So do that with me. We've got a big loaf of bread. In the top of the big loaf of bread, we've got a flashlight. In the side of the flashlight, where the switch should be, there's a door. All right, we got that? All right, now coming out of the door is a shepherd. This picture's getting weirder. So we've got a shepherd coming out of the door. Now the shepherd is rolling a large stone. Rolling a large stone. Okay, let's go back to the start and see how we go. We've got a big loaf of bread. In the top of our big loaf of bread, we've got a flashlight, a torch. On the side of the torch where the switch should be, we've got a, a door. That's correct. Coming out of the door, we've got a, a shepherd. And the shepherd is rolling a big stone. Okay. Now, the shepherd is rolling the big stone down away. So for those who are like my age and younger, I didn't know what this meant. Away is like a path or a laneway. So the, the shepherd is rolling the stone down away. And at the end of the way, you imagine there's a wall and there's a grapevine on the thing. So we've got, right from the scratch, we've got a big loaf of bread. In the top of the big loaf of bread, we've got a, a torch. That's right. And on the side of the torch where the switch should be, we've got a, a door. Yes. Now coming out of the door, we've got a a shepherd, that's correct. Now the shepherd is rolling a big stone. And he's rolling it down a down a way. And at the end of the way, we can see a grapevine. Grapevine. Forget the wall, that was a distraction. You can see a grapevine. Okay. So, big loaf of bread. Torch, door, shepherd, stone, way, grapevine. Congratulations, guys. You have just learnt the seven I am statements in order from John's gospel. I got, to, I was a trained, ordained minister. And nearly 40 before I learnt these. And this was how I learnt them. Okay. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door or the gate. I am the 
good shepherd. I am the big stone. Where was the big stone rolled away from? The tomb. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I am the vine. Seven statements in order. And to help us with that, I think Luke's going to invite some people forward. We're actually going to reflect on one of those statements now. Thank you, Luke. Thanks, Bill. You guys can take your seats. And a little test for you. Do you know what the eight I am statement was? Yeah. There's something for you to research when you get home. Or if you're already at home, don't go now. Don't go research it now. Stay on church online. Um, I'm going to invite up a few people uh, who are going to share with us, uh, a few of our local pastors who are going to share from the seventh of those I am statements. I am the vine that Jesus said in John chapter 15. And uh, the reason we chose this for this morning was that as we've been uh, praying and, and chatting as, as pastors, who we meet together every Wednesday. And by the way, in many ways, the, uh, the reason this event has come about is because of all those, those years of prayer of local pastors praying together. Uh, and, and that happening every Wednesday morning at 7.30 for many, many years. Um, so I'm grateful for all of you guys who have contributed this morning and who are part of this, as well as those who haven't been able to be here this morning who are part of that group. But as we've been chatting in the last couple of weeks, we realized many of us were reflecting on the same passage of Scripture, even preaching on it in our own churches, and that was John chapter 15. And so we decided, well, that obviously needs to be the theme uh, for our sharing this morning from God's Word. And so first I'm going to invite up Terry. Uh, Terry Nightingale from Southern River Church of Christ, followed by Renia from Thornley, and uh, then Don from Eternal Life Ministries. So, thanks, Terry. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Luke, and thanks, Pastor Bill, for introducing the uh, seventh I Am. So, uh, I'm going to read from uh, John 15, as uh, Luke said, and uh, this amazing passage of Scripture. So, Jesus speaking, and he says this, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. I don't know about you, but the first time I heard that, I was a bit shocked. Jesus is saying, if we're a follower of Jesus, if we love Jesus, if we've come to a place in our life where we've thanked him for dying on the cross for us and uh, we've uh, asked him to be Lord of our lives and we're following him and we love him and we're starting to bear fruit in our lives. He says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That seems a bit shocking, doesn't it? That doesn't seem very comfortable. It seems a bit painful. Does that mean, well, as Christians, that life isn't easy all the time? And I think some of us would say, well, no, actually, life isn't easy all the time, is it? Sometimes we do go through challenges. And I guess many of us over the last couple of months have probably been through challenges or known people who've been through challenges. And sometimes things can be difficult, can't they? Sometimes we can face challenges through uh, relationships or through health or through um, loss of income or loss of work. And sometimes those things can feel like our lives are being pruned. And I was reflecting on this recently and thinking, Lord, you know, why, why do you do that? Why do you prune us sometimes? Why, Lord, do we go through difficult times? 
Why can't life just be easy all the time? Wouldn't that be great? Why do we sometimes have to go through things that are a challenge to us? Well, the answer's right here, actually, in John 15. Every branch that does bear fruit, everybody who is already fruitful, God's already uh, flowing his kingdom in us and through us, he prunes, and here's why, so that you'll be even more fruitful. Isn't that great? Sometimes we might go through challenges or difficult times, and we might think, oh, Lord, is this you pruning me? And maybe it is, because he wants to make us even more fruitful. And as I was preparing this, I just had this sense that maybe there would be some who would be listening to this today, and maybe life has been tough for you these last few weeks or months. And maybe God might say to you, hey, I'm going to make you really fruitful through this. My kingdom is going to flow through you, and you're going to be a blessing to others. You're going through a bit of pruning at the moment, but it's so that you will be even more fruitful. Amen? He says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Remain in me. What does that mean? Remaining in Jesus. I guess it means spending time with him, doesn't it? Being in his word, absorbing his word, digging into his word, applying it to our lives. Praying, spending time with him, worshipping him as we have been doing this morning. Remain in me, he says and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You know, we exist in Jesus in order that the kingdom of God might come through us, in us, and through us, and be a blessing to the world. He wants us to bear fruit. He loves it when we bear spiritual, eternal fruit in this world. In verse 5 he says again, I am the vine. There's that seventh statement again. You are the branches. If a man remains in me, if a person remains in me, and I in them, then that person will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I was reading this passage uh, several months ago, actually at the tail end of last year, and especially that uh, that statement, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I was at home and I was in my living room and uh, there was no one else at home and I was just sitting there and I was reading this out loud and I read that, apart from me, you can do nothing. And a weird thing happened. I started laughing. I started laughing. I just read that, apart from me, you can do nothing. I started laughing and I couldn't stop laughing. I was doubled up. I had actually had tears running down my face. I thought I was going mad. But the reason I was laughing was because I, it, the enormity of that statement hit me perhaps for the first time. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I remembered how many times I have tried to do God's work in my own strength. And it's like Jesus was saying, come on, it's laughable when you try to do things in your own strength. But hey, look what you can do with me. Look what amazing things you can do. Look what amazing things I can do through you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That he can do everything through us. Well, I'm going to pass over to Pastor Rinia now from uh, Thorny Church of Christ.
Thank you, Terry. It is such an important truth for us to remember. But as I start with my verse, given um, verse 8, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing, your, showing yourself to be my disciples. I want us to just take a moment and just contemplate, just for a moment, celebrate the victorious moment, the thing that is happening right here in our midst, in this moment. Is that we're putting this whole verse together as a number of pastors who has come together over a number of years, this is a victorious moment that is a public witness, a demonstration of what fruitfulness looked like, a, an act that is taken over time. And the essence that I want us to, to just bring, and I want to, that was brought to me for this morning, is how prayer is the key for us to grow into the three aspects of this verse. And so today it is my, my great joy just to, to focus on a couple of thoughts on, these, on, this, on this verse. And it breaks up in three parts. Because one of the key things in today's world, if we look at fruitfulness, it's often associated with productiveness. And as pastors, we often want to be very productive. So we put certain things in place to be more productive. But the wonderful thing in this moment is when you look at this verse, there are three parts that actually shows us that there is a greater definition to productiveness in being fruitful. And what I can testify over many years of coming together every Wednesday, a commitment to pray together, three things has happened in this passage. The first is there is a kingdom identity in the first verse. It says, it is to my Father's glory. Now, the wonderful thing about a kingdom identity is that as we come together as pastors, often we have a bit of an empire mentality. Even though we hang around, we share the kingdom of God, we actually deep down are building empire. But over time, as we came together, Wednesday after Wednesday after Wednesday, our identity was shaped and we saw how Jesus was so secure in his identity in Father that he was able to bring a unity through his death and resurrection. And I can testify today that as we came together, week after week, prayer after prayer, there was a united identity that was formed. And over time, and today I see as a witness, a result of years of coming together. And today this service brings a kingdom identity. But also, flowing out of that, it's a Christ-centered relationship. He said that you bear much fruit. And I, for me personally, the idea of bearing much fruit means that if I want to be more productive, we can be more busy. And the wonderful thing is when you put pastors together, the first thing they keep telling each other is how busy they are. And it's sort of like a status and the more busy you are. But over time, what I love about this, the unity that's shaped in the relationship that formed us, that we we sort of started to laugh at one another and go, hang on, you don't have to be busy. And that fruitfulness doesn't sit in a productiveness, but it sits in the relationship. And so this second point of a Christ-centered relationship is expanding as we started to forbear with each other. Or oh, let me rephrase, they forbear with me. You haven't seen me in action on a Wednesday. But the relationship that was flowing out of that built a way that we were able to forgive one another. And Christ and Christ alone became the center part of our relationship. 
and we had good times and we had less good times and we prayed for each other and we mourned with each other and we laughed and we celebrated. And as that happened, a kingdom identity with a Christ-centered relationship, the, the third part became a result of that. The third part is a gospel-focused practice, showing yourself to be my disciples. And today is the evidence that this Southeast suburbs is no longer empire-minded, but we are a kingdom identity, a Christ-centered, gospel-focused, practicing church. We are one church in many different places, but we come together and we become a witness of that freedom, the liberation of what Jesus has achieved in us, and that is what we celebrate today. And now I get the privilege to pass on to my friend, Don. Oh, bless the Lord. You know, when, they, uh, when we were working out how we were going to do this and how we were each feeling led, Terry was saying he felt led to do around verse 5 and Rainier said he'd like to do around verse 8. And I said, you know, I'd really like to speak on towards the end of the chapter and talk about, oh, well, not the end of the chapter, but verse 9 to verse 15 and just speak uh, on love. And they said, well, you know that that's going to throw out the theory of uh, age before beauty and uh, you know they were very they I mean they were quite direct about that so uh, he said you know it doesn't even sound right the other way if it's beauty before age we, we are just messing up a tradition but uh, you know fine here it is it's what's happened um, but it's such a delight to be with uh, you, you know the pastors that are friends with and that we've been associated with it's such a delight to know them and uh, to fellowship with him, and you heard Rainier speak about that today. But I'd like to just especially single out Luke. Uh, you know, we're here today at Billabong, but I've observed him over a period of time, and I have not seen a more kingdom-minded person than Luke, more generous. And so, uh, you know, I call him the apostle, uh, I call him the bishop, I call him the historian, the doctor, but it's really great uh, to uh, just acknowledge him today and, and your contribution to what you do for us. I wonder if we can just take, go to, I want to take a few minutes and just talk, you know, Jesus uh, in this declaration of who he is, uh, uh, the vine, also picking up on purpose, talking about the purpose of our life, uh, about bearing the kind of fruit that lasts, now switches to love and talks about what it is that's the conductor, what's the, what actually connects all of this. And, you know, it would be appropriate today to focus on that and to spend a few moments on that. And uh, John 15 and uh, verse, I thought I might just read those verses because it will, it will just give some context to uh, what I want to make a few points on. So John 15... You know, um, it's very dangerous when old guys are using technology. Instead of a normal Bible, I am here with, um, with my phone, so and already in the wrong chapter. Okay, John 15 and verse 9, if you want to follow that with me. So he says here, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down 
one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's, know his master's business. Instead, I have called you uh, friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. Um, sorry, let me get this here. That will last. And that, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. You know, Jesus, uh, J- Jesus segues to changes to talking about a whole set of issues in that passage of Scripture, and, and, they, and they fall out in such rapid fashion, yet they are the most profound things. Talks about his love and, the fa- and his relationship with the Father uh, is love. Talks about how that models uh, his relationship with, uh, with, the, with the disciples. Talks about how that love is something that should be protected and fought over. That it, 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 there's the possibility of losing it. Talks about the status change for them that they are now friends because they know uh, the things that the Father has asked him to do. Talks about how that links to uh, prayer and how that that links to purpose in their lives. And then finishes in verse 17 with a repetition of verse 12 and he says, you're to love one another. And you know, for us as Christians, we would know that these issues are so deep that we would take some time to work through them. But I want to just take out of this passage today just three things that come out of this passage that are central to how we live and how we engage as followers of Christ and then how we do mission. The first is this, that Jesus redefines for us the basis of love. Redefines it. You know, it's not anymore the property or the... Or the, or, or the work of philosophers, of, uh, of thinkers, of strategists. It's not the work of the film industry anymore. But what, uh, what Jesus is saying is this is the new basis for love. And it's the fact that the Father has loved me. That what exists in the Godhead is love. And it's not the first time we sing it here. Because when Jesus is baptized, the voice that comes out of heaven as the Spirit descends and we spoke so much of Trinity here and sang so much of it today. Uh, this is my son, in whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus, uh, as he's talking to them, says that this love that exists between the Father and I is in you. How awesome is that? Uh, you know. And now we... Uh, we find this new, new basis uh, for love. New basis for love. And uh, it affects everything that we do. And it's like what happens out of this is that Christ puts into us when we receive him, he puts that seed of the capacity to love like he, like, like he loves us. We have something in us when we meet Jesus that makes us love. And uh, like he does. And I'd like to, I'll tell you a story because it, ha- it, it makes the point. Uh, I had a friend who adopted, and, uh, and, and his family who adopted a little girl 
who was just a baby at the time. And when they adopted this girl, they said, we're going to make three decisions about this. Number one, uh, we're going to keep the record of the birth mom. Number two, we're going to tell this girl as she's older, as she gets older, that she was adopted. And number three, we're going to tell her that if she ever wants to find a biological mom, we'll do that. Well, she never, she never did that until she was 21. They did, they did everything they said. This girl twen turned 21, and when she was 21, she said, I'd like to meet my biological mum. And th th this family, true to their promise, that was in New Zealand, went back and met with this, uh, this mum, and they did. And as they were sitting in a coffee lounge somewhere, uh, you imagine that sort of meeting. Uh, after some time, the mother and daughter, after you know, all those years of not knowing each other, uh, decided to go up and walk across the road to a shop and my friend told me that he was sitting at the window and as he watched them walk across the road, diagonally across the road, he said you could see the connection by their gait that this was mother and daughter. He said there was nothing <laughs> that would make you not doubt uh, that that connection was biological. And then I tell you this, that when we have the love of Christ in us, there's a DNA in us that makes the connection with Jesus extremely visible to people. Number two, that we have the capacity to reject uh, the, the love that Christ offers us. You know, the gift, this, this gift as tremendous as it is and as profound as it is, we have the capacity to say no to it. It, it is one of the most incredible things about how God has created us that he gives us the ability to reject him or to choose him. And we're made with, with, that, with, that, with that ability. And so when he's speaking to the disciples, he says, please let this love that I have given you remain in you. It's like you have to do something. You have to be intentional. It has to be an act of will that we're going to love Christ. Imagine if someone said that I love you, but you don't have a choice uh, to respond back to me any other way you have to love me. God doesn't do that. He makes it so that we have the choice. And he also says to them that it's possible to be estranged from that love. It's possible to become estranged from it. It's after all what the letter of Ephesus is about in Revelations, isn't it? That you have lost your first love and just about everything else with it. And the third, the third point is this, that love must remain the signature and the message of the church, this love of Christ. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that changes the heart of a person like the gospel of Christ. You know, we, we, there are noble causes to which the church must stand up for, inextricable from its message, but they are not the central message of the church. The message of the church is what Christ has asked us to do, and that is to proclaim the gospel. And so just as I conclude today, you know, I thought I'm, in a practical sense, leave something with you. I've been in church a lot of years, and I've been a follower of Christ a lot of years. And I know you can find other things to add to this list, but I'm going to give you four things that I have seen that have been substantial as practical things to do in our Christian walk, and I'm, I want to leave them with you because I think that if we do them, uh, it will it'll be transformative in our lives and in the church. Number one, look through the eyes of love. 
look through the eyes of love. That was the advice that uh, Oprah Winfrey's TV psych that she used to have on her show from time to time gave to listeners. She said, look through the eyes of love. When you get home uh, and you see light switches on dads, and the first thing you want to do is remonstrate why, um, you know, why they're all on. I know my kids only learned how to turn them on. And, uh, but he said, you know what? Just look at your family. Look at people. Look through the eyes of love. The second one is share food. Share food. You know, it's what they were doing in the early church. Can I tell you that one of the most powerful things you can ever do is to invite someone into your home. I know cafes and restaurants are good. I know we got COVID. You can get around that. But let me tell you that if you share food with people, if you open your home to them, it is countercultural. But it's most powerful. I, I know a person he's now passed on uh, whose name was Adolf. He said, you know, he got invited to a meal at someone's house from when the first day he attended church and he stayed 40 years. I can still tell you the people when we were in Melbourne, the names of the people who invited us home when we were there, Doug and Louise. It makes a profound difference. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be the Ritz. Number three, be committed to the local church. Can I, tell, can I plead with you about this? That the church is where we live out the mission and the service and our service to Christ in so many ways. I know we do things off-site, but be part of the church. Prioritize it. Don't, don't you know, have an approach of saying, I'll come once a month. There are people who observe how you approach and prioritize church and and they would be, number one, your children. And then number two, the new believers that come to church. And number four, be patient with people. People are not perfect. Uh, people uh, are going to make mistakes. I love to say that people are not yet that which Christ is making them. Uh, but they are on the journey. Amen? Bless the Lord.